0: Well, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank?
1: Do you know what a derivative is? Most people on Wall Street don't. Hello and welcome once again to Michael and Us, a persistent tour (laughs) through the life and art of Michael Moore. I'm Will Sloan, as always. With me,
2: Luke Savage.
1: So uh, this week we watched *Capitalism: A Love Story*. So we're definitely in the home stretch of this podcast. Oh
2: my god, and it feels like it.
1: I, and I don't, I don't know. Like there's something like it's one thing to see Michael Moore's movies, you know, every three or four years when they come out, but to see all of them. In, in such a compressed span of time and to see all the anti-moor movies
2: like this is what they're doing to torture prisoners at guantanamo <laughs> bay
1: like i i would love to live in a world again where i don't think about michael moore <laughs> I, he consumes so much of my thought now that we've uh,
2: watched so like so many fewer real movies than we normally would you and i used to we like, used to but, watch real movies for this
1: podcast that's we, what we did We used to watch great films yeah uh and now we watch michael Moore movies <laughs> This week, you and I met once uh, outside of recording this mm-hmm. podcast, and we watched The King of Comedy by Martin Scorsese. Man,
2: that's a good film.
1: And it, just, it was just such a nice relief
2: from, from this awful Michael Moore-shaped on, on the, hellscape. <laughs> on the weekend, I saw uh, The Birds and also Dial M for Murder, yeah, good stuff. both of which were excellent, and which reminded me that, that there is beauty in the world, um, out, you know, outside of this, uh, yeah, as you said, Moore-shaped hellscape.
1: But before we get on to talking about Capitalism, a Love Story, uh, well, Capitalism, a Love Story, first of all, came out in 2009, and it was kind of the last desperate gasps of Moore's period of relevancy.
2: That's right. Coinciding, I think, not accidentally with kind of a liberal president mm -hmm. uh, being elected.
1: And I would say that Moore does not wear irrelevance well. Every time we've seen him pop up in this... Uh, 2016 election campaign it's been a little bit embarrassing
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: last week of course we shared with you his
2: brilliant open letter to Ivanka Trump believe it or not I don't think she took his advice so it, I mean it's hard to believe it's really. possible
1: she hasn't read it uh,
2: <laughs> a few weeks ago Moore
1: wrote a widely shared article uh, called five Reasons Donald Trump will win an article that I think was mostly greeted with um amusement bef- and yeah. scorn and, and not not taken seriously and
2: also like people saying why does michael moore think he can pronounce on this
1: yeah and and people basically just wishing that moore would go away mm-hmm. and
2: not we we wouldn't have to look at i can sympathize with this mm. uh, and of course he got the message and he went right away um oh wait uh well, what have you got there Will? well
1: well we've got a new um pseudo viral article that he's written <laughs> I'm not sure if this went viral. This is at michaelmoore.com slash Trump Sabotage. <laughs> and it's an article he's written called... Wait, actually? Yeah, that's, that's the URL. <laughs> and it's an article he's written, Is Trump Purposely Sabotaging His Campaign by Michael Moore? Uh, so we'd like to do the latest in, in our reading series of, <laughs> of the late period works of Michael Moore. <laughs> France. Donald Trump never actually wanted to be President of the United States. I know this for a fact. I'm not going to say how I know it. I'm not saying that Trump and I shared the same agent or lawyer or stylist or, well definitely not a stylist, (laughs) or if we did, that that would have anything to do with anything. And I'm certainly not saying that I ever overhear anything at those agencies or in the hallways of NBC or anywhere else. But there are certain people reading this right now, they know who they are, and they know that every word in the following paragraphs actually happened. So Moore's a real insider.
2: I mean, what I hate about this is that he's like, yeah, I I know this thing, I know this big thing, which, like, you know, the news media doesn't have, no one else has it, but I, Michael Moore, you know years out of my period of relevancy like I I you know um, I, I you're uh, you're you're uh <laughs> you're uh you resident you know filmmaker uh he's he's got his ways let me tell you
0: Trump
1: was unhappy with his deal as host and star of his hit NBC show The Apprentice bracket and The Celebrity Apprentice bracket simply put he wanted more money he had floated the idea before of possibly running for president in the hopes that the attention from that would make the negotiation position stronger but he knew, as the self-proclaimed king of dealmakers, that saying you're going to do something is bupkis. Doing it is what makes the bastards sit up and pay attention. Blah blah blah. And then something happened. And to be honest, if it happened to you, you might have reacted the same way. Trump, to his own surprise, ignited the country, especially among young people who were the opposite of billionaires. He went straight to number one in the polls of Republican voters. Blah blah blah. And then, you can see the moment it finally dawned on him, that oh shit revelation, I'm actually going to be the Republican nominee, and my rich beautiful life is F blanking over. Censored. F uh, hashtag uh, star at sign ing over. And then uh, he goes on to say, but let me throw out another theory, one that assumes that Trump isn't as dumb or crazy as he looks. Maybe the meltdown of the past three weeks was no accident. Maybe it's all part of his new strategy to get the hell out of the race he never intended to see through to its end anyway. Because unless he is just crazy, the only explanation for the unusual ramping up, day after day, of one disgustingly reckless statement after another, is that he's doing it consciously or subconsciously, so that he'll have to bow out or blame others for forcing him out. And then he concludes it with, Trust me, I've met the guy. Spent an afternoon with him. He would rather invite the Clintons and the Obamas to his next wedding than have that scarlet letter L branded on his forehead seconds after the last polls have closed on that night, that evening of the final episode of the permanently cancelled Donald Trump shit show. Yours truly, Michael Moore. Uh, Well, first of all, I hope... Trump keeps running just to prove Michael Moore wrong. I'm
2: going to just say, like, uh, this isn't very convincing. I mean, apart from Moore's contention to have insider knowledge, which he doesn't have. I mean, Mm -hmm. for God's sake, let's be let's be serious. I mean, this idea that Trump is ran for president uh, because he wanted more money from NBC. Mm -hmm. It's like Trump is pretty rich and he spent a lot of his own money on his campaign. I I think it's pretty easy
1: just like having seen Trump a lot to think that he really is a megalomaniac who thinks he can be president. Yeah. But it is interesting, this article coming, I mean, Michael Moore is kind of uh, swayed with the winds as far as this election is concerned. Yeah. I mean, a week ago, he, he, he's kind of adopted all of
2: the... Whatever uh, the sort of mainstream position is at that time, like yeah, he kind of, kind of adopts of, a version of the it. The kind
1: of normcore liberal yeah. uh,
2: ideas about Trump, either that, uh,
1: well, he's definitely going to win, this is resurgent fascism, and we have, yeah. we have to band together and stop this, yeah. or, you know what, Donald Trump is really probably mentally ill. And for his own good, he should he should step out. That's yeah, the we need to have an intervention. That's and, the compassionate yeah. view. And then there's this, which is that, oh, well, he's just a con artist. And, yeah. You know. uh, anyway, I don't know why we're bringing this up except to say, Michael Moore, please just go away. <laughs> and, and
2: and I think that segues nicely into our conversation about capitalism, a love story.
0: This is Michael Moore. I am here to make a citizen's arrest of the board of directors of AIG. From Michael Moore. We're actually here to make a citizen's arrest. Speak to my supervisor in a white shirt, yep. blue tie. That's it. Uh, receding hairline. The guy who brought you Bowling for Columbine, Fahrenheit 9/11, and Sicko. So who else do you want to leave the building? Your cameraman and your crew. oh, come on out. All right, sir. they don't speak English. Donde? This fall, the most feared filmmaker in America... Can I talk to you, sir, for a second? Can you tell me what a credit default swap is? Can you explain a derivative to me? ...will reveal what happens when Wall Street tanks... ...stock markets crash... ...bankruptcies... ...foreclosures... ...a global meltdown. ...and the government bails. By spending just a few million dollars to buy Congress, Wall Street was given billions.
1: The motion is adopted.
0: You know, Michael Morris, don't you, Betty? The film director, he's filming me right now. How did this collapse happen? I got home on a Friday. Everything was just fine. I called back after my plane landed in Indiana, and all of a sudden
3: we've got this crisis on our hands.
4: There's got to be some kind of a rebellion between the people that have nothing and the people that's got it all. Everything was being handled by the Treasury Secretary from Goldman Sachs. They had Congress right where they wanted them. This was almost like an intelligence operation.
3: This is straight up capitalism. boom.
0: Where's our money? I don't know. The people here really aren't in charge. I guess you win. We want our money back!
4: Capitalism offers people the freedom to choose where they work.
0: There isn't anything in here. I'm not going to be a gentleman's club hire dancer. We're here to get the money back for the American people. I got more bags, Uh, 10 billion probably won't fit in here.
2: So I think it's safe to say that for the first like 30 minutes of this film, we were we we're, we're feeling all right. We were feeling okay. Yeah. And then and then what happened?
1: Well, then like I don't even know where to begin with this movie because there was so much in it and it's very long it's 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 over two hours and so little of it really uh kind of stuck with me yeah. it feels like it, it was just a lot of disparate scenes that kind of evaporated from my memory the minute they played i mean this movie isn't that bad no it's certainly not good it's not good it's it's, it's not that bad but even a movie that we didn't like very much like fahrenheit nine eleven, i remember it pretty well and there were a lot of memorable scenes and this one was just kind of flat
2: yeah There's a vague thesis that unites the whole film, which I guess is that all these little vignettes you see kind of show capitalism at its worst, its most kind of abominable and immoral and unethical. And he kind of towards the end of the film gets at a sort of, I don't know, kindergarten version (laughs) of like Bernie Sanders critique, which is that. The economy is rigged against ordinary people because there's a kind of self-reproducing cadre of financial elites that are kind of secretly pulling the strings behind the whole thing. But I think it's safe to say he doesn't really develop this into... I mean, I said at one point during the movie, if this was like 15% more cerebral and just had 15% more real analysis, that would be great. Mm -hmm. There's almost no moment in the film where he lays out here's what I think capitalism is and here's what I think is wrong with it and I suppose he would say that you know that's for you know the emotional impact of these scenes kind of you know, but just you know I was left thinking just like give us some real analysis man like there's nothing holding this film together ex- except these awkward emotional segues that when you start kind of picking them apart don't really amount to much
1: basically it, it, the conclusion of the movie and we're really jumping ahead here but he concludes with Franklin spoiler alerts <laughs> yeah yeah He ends with Franklin Roosevelt's call for a second Bill of Rights, basically saying that it's self-evident that all Americans should have a good home, a good education, a good job. One of the last things he says in the movie is, capitalism is an evil that must be destroyed, and the solution is democracy. Mm -hmm.
2: Which I think is pretty nebulous. I mean, it's
1: kind of like trying to play both sides of the fence a little bit. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. Well, because there's very few Americans anywhere in the political spectrum, unless they're at the Cato Institute or something, who would explicitly be like, we, we don't believe in democracy. Mm-hmm. It's that thing Moore has where he, he refuses to mount any critique outside of whatever the kind of dominant like lexicon is, so he just works within it and appropriates from it with mixed results, I would say.
1: I mean, as a... As a Moore scholar, one of the things that <laughs> interested me of the, in this movie is that it really does feel like a, a career summation. Like this, It's got everything. This it's got it's a be, pastiche
2: of all his all his bag of tricks.
1: And I genuinely think that it is meant to be a career summation. I think that was deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um like all, all, the tropes, all the signifiers, everything is
2: in here. Even footage from uh, Roger and Me, uh, extended footage.
1: Yeah, uh, and there's even a scene early on when Michael Moore uh, facetiously tries to go up uh, to see the chairman of General it's Motors. Like a, it's like a reunion tour, and he's like stopped by a guard out front. And he says, "Ah, you know, I've been trying to see the, I've been trying to see the chairman for twenty years. Why don't you just let me up once?"
0: So I went down to the headquarters at General Motors one last time to share some of hey guys, my ideas. You
4: don't, have, you don't have permission, you can't film here.
3: Huh? You don't have permission, from General Motors, you can't film
0: here. I'm just going up to see the chairman.
3: No, sir. No, sir. You know,
0: I've been doing this for like 20 years. I understand, And you, sir. I've, I have not been let into this building for 20 years. Yep. And I think it's about time someone just let me in and let me talk to them. I've got some good ideas. 47 to 76 Bravo, or Alpha? It's Michael Moore here to see the chairman. It's the filmmaker, Mr. Michael Moore. He's here to see the chairman.
1: Another guard comes out, and one of the guards puts his hand over the camera lens, and the guy says, no, don't, don't do that, don't do that. <laughs> and then they just walk away. <laughs> and I, I feel like that encounter kind of sums up the listless quality of the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would suggest that we try to like go through this movie in order but i uh, don't even know how to do it because there is no structure here really
2: no and i mean i think that's one of the biggest problems with the film i mean we've complained before about films like slacker uprising you know just being a repetitive kind of the same thing over and over and over again or or fair 9 and 11 being disjointed but at least that has you know three recognizable parts mm-hmm. this film i mean hardly has that structure at all does it
1: Right. I think you could take like any 30 minutes out of this movie.
2: Yeah, you could pluck any scene and no one would notice.
1: But maybe let's talk about the first 30 minutes at least, because again, you and I were both like kind of into the movie during this. Point. Yeah. It, it opens with us seeing, you know, a, a purported educational film of about the fall of Rome and more contrasting the fall of Rome with the decline of the American empire. You know, the elites running the
2: country and... Gap between the rich and the poor. Yeah,
1: and uh, no jobs for the poor. And, uh, you know, spectacles like whether it be uh, chariot races or American Idol to keep <laughs> right. To keep the poor... Well, docile. Do- docile. And, yeah. Uh, and then it moves on to, we see a, an elderly couple whose house has been foreclosed on because they got one of those subprime mortgages. And, and I think this scene with the couple is, again, what Michael Moore does best. Mm-hmm. It's just showing kind of like ordinary Americans... Who have been fucked over by the
2: system? Yeah, it's not the most sophisticated argument. No,
1: but it has—it carries a certain emotional weight.
2: Well, as as I think, you know, the kind of iron rule of Michael Moore that, that our uh, Moore scholarship over these past months has established. I think a- any moment in a Michael Moore film where he where like he's letting other people speak is usually better.
1: But then we move on to Moore's kind of nostalgic look at the America that he grew up in. Uh, an America where capitalism was working just fine, and which he credits to the fact that there were strong unions in place. And he basically pins the blame on the decline of America on Ronald Reagan. Yeah and the way he did, could you could you describe the way he does it because in you know in his usual way it's just grossly oversimplified so
2: he yeah i mean it is it is really oversimplified and completely overlooks like the crisis of american capitalism that began in the 1970s and just innumerable other things and i don't think it would be too much of a stretch for him to do a more nuanced take certainly than the one he provides mm-hmm. which involves there's a a famous speech jimmy carter gave which you can watch on youtube in full that's called a crisis of confidence and he's he's kind of um you know moralizing about how you know we're worshiping consumption and people are becoming defined not by who they are but by what they own and things like that and then michael moore you know kind of starts doing a voiceover and and says you know like uh you know what a downer or something like that and then you know it's like we needed a new sheriff in town. And then, you know, there's like Ronald Reagan footage and movies being a cowboy and whatever. Real love hanging fruit. (laughs) Really, really easy stuff. And there was, there is one kind of beautiful moment in that sequence, which is you learn about the treasury secretary who is a, you know, a big finance viceroy or whatever, who uh, went on to become Reagan's chief of staff as he was fading. And there's this wonderful little moment where Reagan is... Giving a speech uh, to, I guess, to Wall Street, he's talking about how they're going to deregulate everything, mm-hmm. and the guy leans over to him, and you hear him say, uh, "Better speed it up." And then Reagan <laughs> suddenly sounds like this, you know, disjointed old grandpa. And he's like, "Oh, rah, 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 rah. you know," yeah. he's all flustered, and he starts, you know, reading it, you know, faster, reading the speech faster. Yeah, That's pretty amazing.
1: Moore is good at like finding these. He's still good at finding these little moments mm-hmm. that nobody else has found. Uh, you know, like. In Fahrenheit 9-11, in that early scene with all the black members of Congress Mm -hmm. trying
2: to protest... Yeah, the election in Florida. Or in this movie, even
1: Roosevelt's speech towards the end is something that wasn't all that well-known. So he's good at finding...
2: Or, or, in, or in Roger and me with the uh, the the factory that's a monument to the auto industry where the where the with like the singing robotic workers and things like that he's good at those
1: so essentially Moore credits the collapse of the American Empire on the fact that this Reagan chief of staff uh, was was the puppeteer <laughs> behind the Reagan administration and pulled the sp- pulled the strings and made them
2: crush all the unions (laughs) this is like uh you know the bush and bin laden families were actually friendly like of this film
1: it's just so weird to like pin everything on the chief of staff i mean i I
2: guess he you could say he's it's a metaphor for kind of it's that moment kind of encapsulates when finance really takes the reins of you know beginning with the you know office of the chief executive and kind of you know takes over the country but you're right that he does kind of seem to really personalize it which is such an oversimplified well, thing
1: this gets back to like our eternal question of like is michael Moore as dumb as he looks and like you don't actually know at times if he's actually thinking in terms of metaphor or if he's actually being literal i don't know uh it's the it's the mystery that keeps us doing this podcast <laughs> in the face of just insurmountable boredom <laughs> uh, oh we also in these early scenes we meet a, a character that i kind of like Who's this vulture uh, realtor? Oh yeah. Uh, who's kind of like he's kind of like the gross uh, 21st century version of Sheriff Fred from Roger and Me, mm-hmm. who picks up these foreclosed condos and sells them at a profit.
3: This is my second Hyundai Sonata, and I'll probably get a new car next year. And when I do, it'll probably be another Sonata. You know, I'm not a car guy. If I can go in there and steal a condo for the equivalent of what a, a Mercedes would cost or a Bentley would cost. I'm all about that. Meet Peter Zaluski, Florida's up-and-coming
0: real estate whiz. He calls his real estate company, Condo Vultures.
3: We, we, we have a very good sign because you have the final, final notice of eviction, so you can see this person was basically thrown out by the, by, by the police department.
0: Peter deals exclusively with clients who buy up foreclosed homes and then resell them at a profit.
3: It's going to be about 830 square feet or so at the end of the day. The only people who are buying are primarily individuals that we represent. Today it's on the market for $66,000. Which are basically bottom feeders who are going in there, they have no compassion, no sensitivity, they're running purely off numbers, they're coming in all cash, and they're looking to slit any single seller's throat, regardless of what their situation is. So people always ask, what's 25 cents on the dollar? This is it. This is <laughs> what you're going to get. The Vulture basically represents a bottom feeder that goes in there and cleans off a carcass. Because they're dealing with so many different germs and so many different situations, they'll have to vomit on themselves and there's some sort of cleansing process that occurs. The vultures aren't actually killing. They're the ones doing the cleanup.
1: And we see him interviewed and he's just so unapologetic about it. Mm -hmm. He's like, the only difference between me and a vulture is I don't throw up on myself.
2: Right. Um, And yeah, I mean, I do think there are little moments in this film that are reminiscent of things that happen in Sicko where the kind of contradictions between capitalism and, um, you know, humanity are just kind of laid bare for example he interviews a woman whose um husband passes away from cancer and it turns out that their bank has actually taken out a life insurance policy on him and that he was more profitable to them dead than alive and it turns out that this is actually Somewhat common and that large companies like Procter and Gamble and and others and telecom companies and things are, are actually in, you know, involved in this. And I mean, that's, you know,
1: and best of all, it's actually called like a dead peasant
2: policy. Yeah, it's like the dead peasant clause, which mm-hmm. is which is just perfect
1: there's another good part later in the movie where we see a leaked memo from citibank where basically the executives at citibank say that they think america is no longer a democracy it's a plutonomy where the top one percent control everything and this is perfectly great mm. this is great the only possible problem is that in america it's one man one vote so there's the possible uh, issue that the lower classes might cause a rebellion, but mm-hmm. other than that, we're great.
2: And and what's great about that memo is that you know it's written. I mean, it's 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 addressed to their top investors, and it's written in just such. I mean, you ju- you kind of see it on the screen for about a minute. I mean, it's written in just this totally dispassionate technocratic mm-hmm. way. I mean, um, and then Moore follows it up with an interview with a guy who works at the Wall Street Journal who just openly says, you know, I'm not a big believer in democracy. I mean, and then makes a really stupid argument, like go to some countries, they have democracy, but like they don't have like advanced economies and stuff like that which is a pretty dumb thing for someone that works at any newspaper to say but you know
1: one thing i liked about the movie (laughs) was that more in in this movie doesn't pay lip service to the idea that oh well at the end of the day we're all americans and we all really want what's best for our for our country Mm -hmm. i mean he does basically say the top one percent want all the money and that's all they care about they don't actually
0: care about democracy and four years later when reagan ran for re-election It was all smiley faces and happy talk. I really feel that we're going to be better off in the long run. We're on the upward swing and the factories
3: are working much stronger than before. We're back on top.
0: Actually, what Reagan presided over was the wholesale dismantling of our industrial infrastructure. This was not done to save money or remain competitive as companies back then were already posting record earnings in the billions. No, it was done for short-term profits.
2: It's okay. I mean, I would like to see more straightforward class rhetoric from him, which he just seems unwilling to give us.
1: And at other times, there are certain points where this movie just kind of like falls off the rails and and goes off on odd tangents. Like there's a part, and this is where Moore's pragmatic impulses come in, You can definitely see him trying to like reach across the aisle particularly with a scene where he interviews three different catholic priests who make the case that capitalism is is immoral and that jesus would have been against it
2: and then we get to see some wonderful stock footage of of like some made for tv movie with jesus and in an absolutely cringeworthy thing you know it'll be like a poor person saying you know you know, I, you know, I have no home. What should I do? And then more voices over the Jesus character and it'll say like, give all power to the derivative markets uh, or something. I mean, I really bail out
3: the
1: banks Ugh. or or, or somebody, a leper comes up to him and Jesus says, I'm sorry, you have a pre existing condition. Uh, more sense of humor is decidedly Borowitzian. I yeah, it's
2: it's really it's really run amok. Um, there's another scene where George Bush is speaking. Uh, you know the one. Oh. George Bush is speaking like right as the economy is tanking in 2008 you know, I remember the scene started and I thought, you know, that background behind him looks almost like computer generated. (laughs) It's like kind of cartoony. And then sure enough, it starts falling apart and there's this ridiculous like cartoon characters running through it. And it's just like
1: lightning striking uh, and it being a storm. Uh, Michael Moore calls George W. Bush chicken little. He makes the, the, the very strange argument that the 2008 financial collapse was basically a smokescreen, just an excuse For the banks to be bailed out so that the bank executives could use the money to buy, like, you know, private jets.
2: Yeah, which, which, like, again, is oversimplifying something that actually happened. Yeah. But like, yeah, like oversimplifying it, I think, excessively.
1: I, do you want to talk about some of michael moore's stunts in this film because i feel like we're really at the pits in this one in terms of his little his little uh performance art
2: yeah well i mean the moment when i wanted to you know form my my own michael and Oss union and and protest <laughs> unfair working conditions was was the scene where he actually goes to wall street with like a bag that you'd see like a cartoon character holding with like a money sign on it Mm -hmm. and he's trying to like get the bailout money back and he's going and he's he's going into like the headquarters of like Citigroup and Bank of America and saying like I'm here to make a citizen's arrest of the CEO or whatever I mean this is like the piss
1: and once again like I was reminded of the old complaints that well you know Michael Moore he's he fancies himself a man of the people he's the blue-collar champion unless these blue-collar workers are you know the security guards at a bank and then all of a sudden you know they're the good germans and, and, and Moore's like nice
2: liberal audience can laugh at them with immunity yeah so we can laugh at like the the doorman who when Moore says uh, i'm here to make a citizen's arrest he's like okay i have to talk to my my manager or whatever he's like has to talk to his manager yeah. just
1: another corporate stooge <laughs> yeah yeah
2: um i mean god what other gimmicks uh, well there? there's
1: another one where um Moore goes to the national archives and he looks at Ugh.
2: he looks at the constitution
1: oh. and he says to the security guard he says um, um excuse me could you tell me where uh the word capitalism appears in the constitution
2: bottom of the barrel
1: and you know his stupid narration is just it's like we the people i
2: i saw words like
1: union yeah. and
2: collective yeah.
1: all the way through yeah. i didn't see anything about capitalism oh my God. Uh, I mean, really, if I never hear Michael Moore's voice again after this podcast, like, that will be too
2: soon. Like,
1: (laughs) that stupid, like, (laughs) sing-songy thing that he does with his voice.
2: Let's, let's, uh, I mean, relatedly, let's talk about one of, let's talk about the cinematography in this film, because there, because, because this is a film where we see more of Michael Moore on camera than I think we're used to seeing, you know, and, and a lot of that consists of, there's a lot of these Michael Moore reaction shots, (laughs) where he'll be interviewing somebody, and you know, it's again this thing where he's asking questions that are obviously purely rhetorical. Yeah. Uh but then he acts as if he's really surprised by the answers. Yeah. He'll be talking to like Elizabeth Warren or or somebody and he'll be <laughs> like, so
1: Congress was was never told <laughs> where the bailout money went. How how is that possible? I, 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 I don't know. Forget it. It's."
2: <laughs> i mean that's that's pretty much the uh the crux of it i mean we
1: we do see elizabeth warren though that's and we see and we see a a fresh-faced young senator from vermont named (laughs) bernard sanders makes a short appearance basically used as a rhetorical device by moore yeah when he
2: (laughs) when when they're calling obama a socialist uh in the 2008 election he says well, there was a socialist in the United States Congress. Like, I thought i get the real story and from then, And then we see
1: Bernie be, yeah. be like, well, what democratic socialism means is that <laughs> we're arguing on behalf of the middle and yeah. working classes. <laughs> and then it cuts back to more, like, yeah. nodding
2: his head, being like,
1: geez, this guy may look crazy, but he makes a lot of sense.
2: <laughs> so one thing I like that this film does, which I think is a really interesting... I mean, you, know, you were talking about this film as a... Kind of career summing movie, and I think the way it plays with Obama is really interesting, because mm. um, he really hedges on Obama.
4: We are ready to take this country in a fundamentally new direction. That's what's happening in America right now. Change is what's happening in America.
0: Holy shit! This was not what Wall Street wanted. What if he won? What would happen to their way of life? So they did what they always do. They threw as much money at him as they could. Goldman Sachs became his number one private contributor with nearly $1 million in contributions. But yet, they still weren't sure what he would do. How did he really feel about them and their way of life? I mean, he does
2: say, you know, he notes that you know, large financial institutions are pouring money into Obama's campaign and stuff. But then he says stuff like, you know, and yet they still didn't seem sure what they were going to get and things like that. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the film, he is really trying to end it on an optimistic note. And he's trying to be like, changes come to America. Who could have predicted this? Well, his
1: conclusion (laughs) is basically that Obama has empowered a new political generation to take Mm. action. Whether or not Obama himself is successful, Mm. he's inspired a lot of people. And so we see... A sit-down strike at a company somewhere or we see a couple of other businesses formed along democratic lines Mm. where all the workers are part owners basically Mm. and you know we see some other demonstrations uh and i remember watching this movie in the theater uh thinking well you know good luck (laughs) i mean basically thinking that his concluding arguments these examples seemed pretty pitiful yeah and i basically thought well like you know that's nice but one sit down strike in the in the middle of uh, detroit somewhere mm. that's not going to stop capitalism but having said that i mean what's kind of interesting about this movie i mean th- this movie came out it was it, like it did all right for a documentary but it wasn't with the zeitgeist and, no um, and i think it was kind of fucked by timing it came out in 2009. Had it come out in 2008, mm-hmm. like right after yeah, the financial perfect. collapse, it would have been perfect timing. Had it come out two years later mm-hmm. when the Occupy Wall Street movement happened, it also would have been very timely.
2: I think it would have been timely, but I actually think it, it would have been outdated at that point. I mean, I think one of the reasons why this film... I don't think this film has aged well, even though it's not even that old. Mm-hmm. I mean, as we move through this podcast, we're getting closer to the present day, and yet I feel feel like this film you know, these critiques Moore was making in 2009, I think felt fresher. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like seven years on from that. And, you know, we have like Jacobin magazine now, you know, sure. we have, you know, we have, uh, we had a, you know, an actual socialist run with some success for the us presidency, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Like it, it feels really trite. And I mean, more trite to me than an average Michael Moore film. You know
1: i think it's great that we no longer have to depend on michael moore as the only <laughs> voice on the left in the media uh-huh. uh, he basically does end the movie though with like a call to action we see him uh, in the movie's final and most ambitious stunt he he takes police tape uh, crime scene tape and puts it all around the financial district
2: and he does he brings because- out his his uh his, uh, his familiar megaphone, yeah. and he starts shouting things at the, uh, at the battlements this of Wall the Street. Citizen's
0: arrest. Crimes have been committed in this building. I am here to make a citizen's arrest. Please come down and step away from the building. Do not be afraid. Federal prison is a nice place. And, yeah.
1: then, and then the screen goes to Black and Moore
0: says, You know, I can't really do this anymore. Unless those of you who are watching this in the theater... Want to join me? I hope you will. And please, speed it up.
1: So basically, he's calling for the Occupy Wall Street movement. And he was quite, um, he was quite active in
2: Occupy Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was very visible at it. And you, and you saw him at Occupy y- Wall yes, Street. Yes,
1: I did. You know, uh, he looks exactly like Michael Moore. <laughs> uh, and I assume that he was there all the time, mostly because he was kind of like, Oh, great. My, the prediction from the end of Capitalism Love Story <laughs> came, came true. true. Yeah.
4: I love it. Let me go over These are serious issues that you raise in your film. Okay? Yes. And by the way, I went in late I had a hat. I had a disguise. I didn't want people. I didn't want people to see me sneaking good, in. And good. I snuck out early. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: So you bought a, you bought a ticket for Zombieland and then snuck into the well, other I theater.
4: Kind of like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of something like that. Right. Um, and I want a refund before you leave here tonight. <laughs> no. No, I, no, but in all seriousness, look. You're a talented movie maker. You have a left wing point of view. You don't apologize for it. I'm not. I'm going to give you credit for that. Right. Because I think you're an unapologetic socialist. However you want to describe yourself. Fair. Christian. I'm a Christian.
0: Yeah, well, but I'm we have s- different views on the economics. Well, system. no, but I believe I believe in what Jesus said. That so do I. You're, you actually, you are, well, why, are you Catholic? I'm Catholic. You, no. really? Did you Christian. go to mass on Sunday? Every Sunday, I went to theology. I was you went theology. You went to mass this past Sunday. I did. Oh, what was the sermon about? Well, you remember uh, the it gospel? It was
4: about Michael Moore and no, no, uh, come Capelousen. on. You I didn't go. You didn't know,
0: I, didn't know, well, I, I go every Sunday. I go every Sunday. Well, so do you remember I the mean, gospel this It was just
4: two days ago. I don't remember. I went it did Saturday You're night. I attention. went Saturday night. You went Saturday.
2: <laughs> but uh, of course, he didn't stop uh, making movies. Uh, he he decided that he could keep doing this, and that's why he made Where to Invade Next, which uh, which
1: we'll get to. But should we do maybe the, the Awful Truth or something?
2: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't I don't think we're finished yet. I think uh, with this with this particular film I feel like we may be uh,
1: just like America we're battered and we've, yeah. we've taken had a lot taken out of us but, <laughs> but we're going to come roaring back <laughs>
2: Yeah, it, our best it, days. Are it will be. It will be. It will be morning at Michael and us. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I guess uh, we'll we'll move on to some of the more uh, deeper cuts, uh, yeah. the awful truth, and and perhaps a few other things before we get to our swan song with uh, where to invade next.
1: Uh, basically, I'm like so dreading watching where to invade next again. Oh. I mean, this movie that we saw tonight was painful enough. Yeah, where to invade next, I think, is a whole other level of annoying.
2: I mean, it is just a series of gimmicks, and that and that. That's it, and I mean, I tried to start a feud with Moore by giving it <laughs> by giving it a negative review in Jacobin, but he, he didn't take it take it up, believe it or not.
1: And incredibly enough, Moore has not responded to us yet. To our
2: many, uh, you know, to our many, um, you know, acts of outreach trying to get him on the show, <laughs>
1: we are the only Michael Moore podcast on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, and we know he's searching. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we know Michael Moore is the kind of guy that you know you know those celebrities where they'll just tweet their own name. And it's cl- like, <laughs> yeah. like Michael Moore is due for like an Ed Balls moment yeah. where he just, where he just tweets Michael Moore. So, you know, Michael, you know, we, we know you can hear this. Uh, and like,
1: look, we're not totally like we, we really beat up on you. On we've this been episode. fair
2: to you though. Yeah. Like, I mean, compare us to your critics of Fox news. I mean, we're, this is a walk in the park. Come on the show. Come on. We, Defend yourself. But not, like a man,
1: but like not even like, if you if you came on the show, you just wanted to chat and have a friendly conversation, that would be
2: fine, too. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll, you know, yeah. we'll go easy. <laughs> so I guess um that does it for this week. I would say uh, we're feeling thoroughly demoralized, even more than usual at the end of one of <laughs> yeah. these things. Um, but thanks uh, to everyone who's been listening, so far we've we've certainly got a bigger audience for this show uh than uh than i i expected so that uh, that we should have yeah or that or that it deserves but uh i think we're uh having fun with it and uh we're looking forward to the last few so uh till next time i was luke savage and i was will sloan have a week